0: Alright, good morning everyone. How are y'all doing today? So, you may have noticed that we haven't been in a sermon series for a while. We've just been kind of floating for the past few weeks. Um, So we wrapped up our Mark series probably a month ago. And we've had some really neat sermons since then on our written on our hearts series. We've had Teen Sunday last week. Um, But don't fear, this week we're starting a brand new sermon series. Um... So as our Mark series was wrapping up, our pastoral team was talking about what we might want to do next for a sermon series. And we were talking about just some of the basics of Christian faith, Christian maturity, hitting on some just essentials of if you want to be a disciple, uh, you need to do these things. And so Melissa came up with this great idea for a sermon series titled that I initially heard as Throw Up. Throw (laughs) Up. I was like, throw up? That's a a weird uh, series. She actually said grow up, um, (laughs) but I'm going to save the throw up series in my back pocket for later on. So yeah, this series is called Grow Up. And so we're just going to spend the next six weeks after this focusing on a variety of things that we consider essential for Christian maturity. You want to follow Jesus, you simply have to grow up in these different areas. And so this week... I just want to kind of spend this sermon kind of laying a foundation for the idea of growing up in Christian maturity in in general. Why is it important? Why do we even care about growing up? Let me start off by just reading a few kind of scriptures that I think hit on this general idea. So we're going to start with 2 Peter 3.18. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this growth is towards Jesus Christ. All our efforts of growth are focused on, on drawing closer to Him and knowing Him more. And then Hebrews 5.11-6.3, this is kind of a rebuke to a church. It says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. The solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So this this audience is kind of being chastised for having to go back and back to these basics and never moving on from the fundamentals. So I hope that that would not be true of our church, that we would be a people that Commits to moving past that. Um, it says right here, let's see, for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Let's be these people who have disciplined ourselves, who have trained ourselves to distinguish this, um, and have worked to know Christ better. Uh, Ronnie Worsham, the pastor of the, the Garland Church that planted our church, Uh, He has this book called God Thoughts, and in one of the chapters of that, he says, It takes little effort to grow old. However, it takes great effort to grow up. Just this idea that growing up isn't simply a random happenstance for someone that just naturally occurs over time. If you think like physically, our bodies, it's kind of natural for us to grow old, um, but we see a lot of people who just stay immature, stay stuck in their ways. And if anything, not only is growing up not natural, but if anything, our natural tendencies will often lead us further and further into depravity, getting stuck in our ways, immaturity, and unproductiveness. I've personally noticed as I continue to get older, I was talking with some friends about how I'm one of the older people in this church, surprisingly, at this point. Um, But just as I've gotten older, uh, some of my negative tendencies have, have started to stick in and just Uh, Whereas before I was kind of fighting against it, now I've just kind of settled into these things um, that aren't great tendencies, but they've just kind of over time settled in. Because growing up is hard. It takes hard work and dedication. And I think we understand that when it comes to general worldly maturity, we have to start adulting. We feel these pains, these growing pains, and we kind of have to work through it because if we don't, We end up living out on the street and don't have any money to to provide for ourselves. So we realize it clearly uh, in these worldly areas when we haven't really grown up. But I think a lot of us might not realize spiritually how much it hurts us when we don't grow up. We might not be slapped in the face quite the same way um, when we're spiritually immature. Or perhaps we rely heavily on the doctrine of grace, too heavily, thinking that Christianity is simply a mental assent to the lordship of Jesus without any practical changes required of us. But if Jesus truly is Lord, that word Lord means that he demands your full submission and obedience. We're called to be like him, to lay aside the sin that ensnares us and to follow him. But yeah, Scripture is full of examples of people who didn't seem to care about growing up. The the New Testament writers are constantly talking to these churches about how they have to move past these these simple basics of Christianity that they're stuck on. So I, I say that we deeply misunderstand God's grace if we think that it's simply this sheen that covers over the dark and twisted interior of our hearts. Like we have our, our dark hearts, but we got this nice layer outside that covers it up, so we're good. God's grace isn't meant to simply ignore or forget our sins. His grace is meant to change us into the kinds of people who are fit to live in His kingdom. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Titus 2, 11 through 14 It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions so his grace doesn't just forgive our sins but it teaches us how to move out of those to change our actions and to change our ways and thank God that he does that for us so now let's talk about why should i even care about growing up or spiritual maturity in general i want to try and cast a vision for why this is something we should be excited about why this is something we should take seriously. Because growing, is hard, growing up is hard work. It requires dying to ourselves. And so if we don't have a clear goal in mind, a clear vision, we're going to give up pretty quickly as soon as it starts to get hard. C.S. Lewis, one of his most well-known books is called Mere Christianity. Um, and there's a chapter at the end titled Nice, Peop- nice People or New Men. It's been years since I actually read this book, but for some reason just that chapter title and what he talks about has stuck with me most clearly out of that book. And he talks about this idea um, that supposedly if Christianity is legitimate, you might think that all Christians should somehow be better, nicer people than all of non-Christians. But then he goes on to expose how absurd this notion is. People are complex. When you look at a person, there's been so much that's shaped their character and who they are today. Whether that's biological things, family upbringing, sociological economic conditioning, and so on. I don't want to go too much more in depth on this because Melissa's a sociologist. And I'll probably say something wrong here. So, But there's a lot that goes into making us who we are, building our character. And so in Lewis's argument, who's to say... That maybe this rude Christian lady that you encounter isn't a far better and nicer person than she would be without Christ in her life. You can't go comparing her to this nice non-Christian guy you know who maybe had everything kind of handed to him, had a good environment growing up. And then C.S. Lewis takes a step further and he says, Where would we also get the notion that Christ's main agenda for us was to make us nice people? Certainly it's true that God values all the qualities that we might think of when we think of the phrase nice person, and he wants to produce those things in us. But I don't think that's his primary agenda. There's plenty of people who don't know Christ who are perfectly nice. Their lives are in order, they treat other people with respect, do the best they can. But if we're not careful, we can turn Christianity into just some sort of self-help religion. If we want to clean up our act, make our lives better, have a good social circle, we turn to the church. Let's look at what Christianity was about for Paul. He describes himself before he came to know Christ as faultless in regards to righteousness based on the law. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3 4 through 6. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's got all these credentials, all these things going for him. Faultless based on the law. But now listen to how he follows up on this passage. And I'm sorry because I feel like I add this passage every time I preach a sermon but i think it's so crucial talks about the core motivations of the follower of christ as i read this next passage listen closely to paul's language what is this all about according to him what really matters in life if it's not all those things he just listed so reading on verse 7 whatever were gains to me i now consider loss for the sake of christ what is more i consider everything a loss Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul has completely lost sight of himself, and that includes working towards being a good, nice, respectable person. It's no longer about that. In a way, that's the complete antithesis of the Christian mindset. Because it's still so self-absorbed, even if it results in some noble qualities, the mindset starts from this backwards position of self-actualization as the ultimate goal in life. Paul considers all this garbage, he says, and that's a nice word compared to what he actually used. The word he used is more similar to excrement. For Paul and for any follower of Christ, the goal is Christ. To know Christ and to participate in the divine nature. So I'd encourage each of us to think about how our own dreams and ambitions in life line up with this goal. Could you say that for yourself? Could you read these words of Paul and insert yourself into that? I'm talking to myself here too because that's pretty convicting for me when I think about all the things I aspire to, all the things I dream about. Um, It's a lot of things outside of Christ, I think, that consume a lot of my ambitions and goals. As we talk about growing up throughout this sermon series, let's keep that goal of knowing Christ, participating in His nature, clearly in mind. Let's make sure we lay the foundation right before we start the hard work. If you're trying to grow up because you're desperate for self-actualization, you're building this house out of straw. But if you've come to the very end of yourself and realized that Christ is the only thing in life that's worth living for, the only thing worth having, then you're in the right place. C.S. Lewis talks about how nice men are in the most danger because in a way they've got everything together and might be deceived into thinking that they don't really need Christ. It's the poor, the lowly, the vile people who realize their desperate need for God. And it's those people you see that flocked to during his time here on earth. But lastly, I just want to talk about where do we start when we think about growing up? I think we have to start, first of all, like we talked about with the foundation of our core motivations. But then from there, I think there's a few things that each of us can work to develop which will really help us on this journey to grow up. i got three things here. The first is to make space for God. So do you go throughout your days without ever thinking of God, ever saying a word of prayer? This isn't a good thing. If we want to grow up, we have to be in constant communion with God and the Holy Spirit. Letting Him teach us as we go throughout our days. Submitting every thought every action, every word to God's gentle rebuke and correction. When we find ourselves getting stressed, getting angry, we have to go to God, submit to His Spirit, and have that filter in our lives, in our hearts, um, bringing everything before God. So I'd encourage you, if this is not true at all of you, that you'd find ways to develop touch points with God throughout your day. To remind yourself of what's most important, what all your work is for. Maybe there's some routine you already have in place where you could add a simple prayer as part of that. Maybe while you're driving to work or brushing your teeth. But we have to remember as we're striving to grow that it's God's Spirit who causes this growth. It's only through God's renewing of our hearts that we we can even grow and become like Him. And so we have to make room to let Him do that in us. Think of that song we sing. It says, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to make space for God in your life. The second thing we need to do is to establish deep spiritual friendships. You need mentors and friends in your life who are committed to your spiritual maturity, who will call you to be more like Christ. Proverbs 27.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So Take a second and think about your closest friendships. Do your friends do this for you? Do they sharpen you, call you to maturity? If you were to ask your friends, how can I grow to be more like Christ? What would their response be? Would they look at you like you're crazy? Would they tell you that there's nothing that they can think of? Which means either they don't know you very well or they're lying to your face. We're called to minister to one another. That means bearing with one another's weaknesses, Constantly responding to another, one another with gentleness and grace, but it also means boldly calling each other out on sin. There's this story in Galatians that Paul tells about Peter. Um, let me just read it because uh, this is a pretty interesting story. So it's uh, Galatians two eleven to 14 and he's calling Peter Cephas. So he says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So, Paul calls Peter out. He even writes about it in the Bible, and so now it's preserved for all history. Um, But yeah, he's committed to the gospel, and he sees this thing that's happening that's not only hurting Peter, but it's causing other people to be dragged into that, and it's hurting their ministry of the gospel. We have to be committed when we see these things that are hurting our friends, that are hurting. The message of the gospel that we have to call those out in one another. And then the last thing, if we want to be people who are growing up, who are prepared to grow up, is you have to be humble. This is so essential. You have to develop these traits of humility, teachability, malleability. It'll be nearly impossible to grow up in any way in your life if you dig in your heels. Get defensive every time someone brings something up to you if you refuse to learn from God or others. Psalm 25, 8-9 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in His ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. He guides the humble in what is right. Another verse says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So examine yourself in this. When you're faced with areas where you need to grow, whether it's from Scripture and and the Spirit teaching you, or from Christian friends telling you, how do you respond? Are you belligerent, or do you brood over it? Do you beat yourself up, or do you humbly accept this call to grow and change your ways? I know for me, the the beating myself up is a is a constant one, and it can be easy to think of that as humility, but really. That's just another form of pride, um, where I hear, the, hear these areas, I'm weak, and instead of committing to change, I just kind of get sad and mopey, um, feel sorry for myself. We can't do any of these things. We have to humbly accept these calls to grow up. We have to pray about it, seek God, and then be willing to change our ways. When I think of examples of this in Scripture, one person that comes to mind is David, King David. I guess that's the only David in the Bible. Um, He did some pretty terrible things in his lifetime. Probably the most extreme being committing adultery with Bathsheba and then conspiring to murder her husband to try and get away with it. And yet somehow, for some reason, he's considered a man after God's own heart and one of the greatest kings of Israel. How is this? I think it comes down to his posture before God. He did so many terrible, bad things. He went his own way plenty of times, just like all the other kings. But when he was corrected, when he was called to repentance, rather than dig in his heels and reject the correction, he humbly accepted it. When Samuel came and told him that he was under this condemnation because of what he had done with Bathsheba, he responded by saying, I have sinned against the Lord. He acknowledged it and he was ready to change. I think God was able to use David not because he was a nice person, didn't have it all together, but because he was humble and teachable, moldable. Peter's another great example. We heard that story of Paul correcting him. I'm sure you have many stories that come to mind of Peter. Probably all of them are him screwing up in some way or another. Get behind me, Satan. Peter uh, denying Jesus three times. All these things. So it leaves me with the impression when we read Scripture about Peter that he was a total screw-up who didn't understand what Jesus was about, couldn't do anything right. But Jesus entrusted his fledgling church with Peter. Why? Again, I think Peter had this core character trait of humility and teachability. He was a hothead who got a lot of things wrong, made plenty of mistakes, but he's willing to learn and change his ways in the face of correction. So if there's anything I would want for us to take away from this sermon, it would be a clear understanding of the posture of your own heart. I'm convinced that humility is an essential ingredient for Christian growth, quite possibly the most essential. You don't have to necessarily be a very nice person. Maybe you've got some terrible addictions that consume you. Maybe you've got a nasty anger problem, mental issues that overwhelm you. But if you're humble and willing to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him, God can work with that wherever you're at. And I want to make another quick note that I hit on earlier. As we think about the topic of growing up, let's not get confused and think that maturity is a work that we initiate, that we're responsible for, that we get credit for, or that it's a way to earn God's grace. It's only by the grace of God that our dead hearts can beat again. And it's only by the working of His Spirit in our hearts that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. So it's our job to believe in Jesus and then to submit to His Lordship, submit to the working of His Spirit, submit to other Christians who are reflecting God to us, and then let God do His transforming work in our hearts. Every person in here who wants to follow Christ has to commit to being a lifelong disciple, a learner, who's ready to sit at Jesus' feet and hear what he has to say. And we have to commit to one another to helping each other grow and mature in the grace and knowledge of God. I'm going to say a prayer and the worship team can come up for the next song. God, I ask that you would help us as we go on this journey of talking about growing up and spiritual maturity. I ask that you would put our hearts in the right place as we think about that and that all our efforts will be with the goal of knowing Christ. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your spirit that you've given us, for grace. We ask that we would live in a way that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. All right, so the worship team is going to play a song I asked them to play called Shape My Heart. Um, This is one of my favorites, and what I'd like for us to do is just kind of have a silent response to this sermon and what I've talked about as, as they play this song. So you can worship along with this song, pray, ask God to shape your heart, um, try and get in this humble posture before God, maybe think about the ways in your life that things that are kind of blocking this spiritual growth and talk to God about that. Um, and then maybe at the end of the song we can do one last chorus where everyone sings together with the worship team.